Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fergo and the Freak podcast. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter, surprisingly, at League Freak. How is the King of Rugby League podcast today? Very good. Um, it's been a good start to the day so far. And we're going to get into a subject that is really important, I think, and one that keeps popping up every so often and that needs to be just destroyed. And we're going to destroy it right now. Thoroughly, as we yeah. do. Yep. There's no half and fast season. So today we're going to look at essentially player contracts, how they began, and, um, you know, draft systems as well, I guess, from that as well. So we will go back to... 1964 with Dennis Tuddy when he was just 17 years old and he was graded by Balmain. He actually played for Balmain that year in the grand final when they lost to St. George and he set the record for being the youngest player to appear in a rugby league grand final in, in the New South Wales Rugby League. After that game, he signed a three-year contract with the club and in those days, once a player was registered to a club, that club essentially owned the player. So they couldn't play for another club even if the agreed contract had already expired. All the club had to do was state that the player would be retained for the next year and there's nothing the player could do about it. The only way a player could leave the club or change was if the club themselves put that player on a transfer market. And this was known as a transfer and retention system. In Tuddy's final year at Balmain in 67, he won a test jumper and he appeared in the first test against the visiting New Zealand side. At the end of that year, his contract ended. Tuddy asked to be put on the transfer list by Balmain. Being a current test player, though, Balmain refused. He approached the New South Wales Rugby League board to see if they would overrule the club's decision, but they had no interest in any of that. The Tigers then placed Tuddy on their retained list for 68, meaning he had to play for them despite not having a contract with the club. In March of 68, he again requested to be put up for transfer, but was again met with a, with a uh, negative response. Kevin Humphrey saying... I'm afraid it's a case of playing for us or for no one. Three weeks later, Tutty publicly stated, I've given rugby league away. I really had a stomach full of it. By May that year, it was reported that neither Tutty or Bowman had agreed to terms for the current season of which Tutty had yet to play any games. He did, though, later on that season, make a verbal agreement to play for the club and he played a few games at the end of the season. At the end of 68, Bowman again listed Tutty as retained for 69. Tuddy became more determined to challenge the system after another player, Dennis Pittard, had tried to challenge it and failed uh, in, in the years prior. In January of 1969, it was reported that Balmain now had six players that were unhappy with the club and wanted to leave, but couldn't. And it was Peter Jones, Hal Brown, Bori Marashi, Gary Leo, John Spencer and Tuddy himself. Humphreys categorically said that the club had no interest speaking with the, those disgruntled players, saying... There's no point in seeing these players again. They just kept them on the books. On May 24, 69, Tuddy and teammate Jones were joined by West John Elford as they appeared in the equity court to challenge the transfer system. Elford was seeking a declaration that the league's rules regarding transfers were invalid. That case fell on deaf ears. Tuddy sat out the entire 69 season, and despite having not played a game since 1968, the Tigers again retained him for the 1970 season. On May 4, 1970, Tati launched his case against the New South Wales Rugby League at the full equity court, where he asked them to rule that the refusal of his transfer applications to Balmain were a restraint of trade. 
On October 2 that year, the full equity court ruled invalid and restraint of trade against the New South Wales Rugby League's player transfer system. The court ordered a suspension of the orders for 28 days in response to an application by the New South Wales Rugby League, which claimed that a degree of chaos would ensue if the orders were implemented immediately. December in 1970, the New South Wales Rugby League were granted leave to appeal against the decision. Balmain again retained Tutty for the 1971 season. Tutty agreed to play for the club during that year. The league appealed the full equities court decision in midway through 1971, and in December that year, the High Court ruled unanimously in favour of Dennis Tutty, upholding the decision of the court 14 months prior, and that broke the um, retention and... I can't remember what it was called now. The retention, the transfer and retention system, it, it's essentially killed it on the spot. Dennis Tuddy said a decision, I have beaten them, I am free. A week later, the New South Rugby League had come to a decision to replace their transfer system with a player contract system. Many players are off contract and able to negotiate better financial deals for themselves. And that has given us what we have today, where players go out and they get contracts. Um, yeah, and since then we also had a draft system which was attempted in 1991. Dennis Tuddy was very heavily opposed to that because he saw it as an attempt to go back to this sort of system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but Terry Hill came along and, and broke that system pretty much straight away and ended that on its head. And we're in a situation now where we still get people talking about a draft. Yeah, and it's really interesting that it's, I mean, it's really weird to think about now that a club could basically hold the rights to your playing career for life um, and there was nothing you could do about it uh, if you wanted to move clubs. And as you, we were talking about before the podcast um, back then, it wasn't like you were getting paid to have your contract retained. You were getting match payments. So if you didn't play, uh, you weren't getting paid and... To have a player in that era challenge it in court, it must have been a very strange situation to have something from sporting competition going to the courts and that it was done under a strain of trade showed that these players, I mean, they considered themselves professionals because they were. And it really fast-tracked the play contract system, as you said, that we see today. Where teams have to pay players and and they but they don't retain their rights for life, and I mean these days you you're flat out retaining a player during the entirety of their contract anyway. Um, but it's it's strange to think that before that the clubs had just so much power over where players were at and where they could go and if they could go and it makes you wonder how many players over the years maybe could have played a season or two at another club towards the end of their career, or maybe as a youngster were tied to a club and couldn't get an opportunity. Um, how many players were lost to the game because of that? Because early on in the game's history, the stars were very much part of growing the game. And it seems as though over the next few decades that the clubs started to get the power in, in that regard. And then Tuddy was responsible for players getting back power for, for players once again. Um, and thank God he did because it's enriched the lives of so many players since. Yeah, it's also enhanced the competition because 
you think of how many players were disgruntled with their club for whatever reason back in those days. And like Tati, they would have been refused to go and play for another team. I mean, think of, given that Tati was still in his 20s when all this went on, Mm. and he'd been a test player when this process started. Imagine the conversation we could have been having about the legacy he'd had as a player yeah. had he been allowed to leave the club and go somewhere else. I mean, if he had gone to a play, one of those new teams like a Cronulla or a Penrith at the time and helped them get on the, get off the ground from the from the day they started the, their entry into the competition, we don't know what sort of impact that could have had for those clubs and long-term for the game as well. Yeah, and... and... The fact that the established clubs, I mean, they obviously liked having these systems in place for themselves. Um, They already had everything in place to produce plays and and they had the residency rule as well. In a a city that was very different to the city we see today. Um, And so these, I mean, Penrith would have been seen as a regional club back then, a very much a regional club. So it really put them behind the eight ball in terms of being able to produce talent themselves because the region itself was still very young. And to be able to basically get an established star that wanted to come to your club back then would have been absolutely massive for these younger teams that were trying to get somewhere and that the older established clubs were putting breaks on anything like that. I mean, they just had to retain players that they didn't want to play against themselves. Um, it was a, it's a kind of a strange system, but back then it was the norm. And to break through that norm and to have also for, for rugby league to come from a, a sport in rugby union where a lot of these things were ingrained in the sport still at this point, even though we had gone into a professional era, it's a little bit strange that it was still there. But thank God that it changed because it really revolutionised the way that the game was able to market itself the way that it was able to be played and it gave players the power to choose where they wanted to play and it seems like I mean these days it's it's just what we expect from a player but back then it was this really weird uh it had a really weird stigma about it and it just doesn't make sense in the modern modern day and it's because of this move by Tuddy He's the one that really pushed it through and made sure that it become what it is today. Yeah, it's and you touched on it too. That it's, it's really weird considering that the game essentially was built on the unfairness of the rugby union denying players of their due income because of yeah. you know they they brought the money in through the gates and if they got injured they didn't get anything from it. And yeah. so the game was built on doing the right thing by the players, and yet. 50-odd years later, the players don't have any freedom whatsoever. They're absolutely chained to a club. The, the contract means nothing other than you, you sign that bit of paper. You've just handed them your life as, a, as an athlete. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's so far removed from what the game started with, whereas now we actually have the players with the freedom to do as they wish. Um, sometimes people will complain that contracts mean nothing because players can break them all the time and go other clubs, but it's it's actually more true and honest to how the game was began, where the players had the freedom and the financial um, safety net, I guess, that the game could provide from that. And that's, 
as much as it's frustrating as fans that, you know, you could have a player break a three-year contract one year in to go to another club, it's better than what the alternative is where you force them to play somewhere they don't want to because there's nothing worse than having good quality players sitting out from playing football because they don't want to be there, like Gordon Tallis did, for example. And yeah, there's been and, plenty of others as well. And the other thing too is you you get some people that say, oh, I wish we were back to the glory days when players played their entire career at one club. Missing out the fact that they had no other choice. Yeah. Like if they, and that it might not have been what they actually wanted to do themselves. Yeah. That's the thing. The, I've, I've written about it before that player loyalty in the past is basically a myth because it was enforced on you. You had no option. Mm. Mm. Um, so player loyalty now is probably just the same as what it always had been. Players are choosing where they want to be now. Yeah. And, and they didn't have that option. Another interesting thing too is that the modern day rugby league contract we have today is probably closer. In 1908, it was probably closer to what we have today than it was while Tuddy was fighting this. Like, it, it very strange situation that the game ended up in. And, uh, like, it, it's so weird to think about that that was just what happened in, in rugby league, in this sport that was all about giving players the opportunity to, to earn a living out of the game. And here we are not too far down the track and it, there's actually things put in place that can hurt your ability to earn a living out of the game. It, it kind of goes against what rugby league was all about from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it's, it's one of those amazing contrasts that the game had where you, you just feel like it, it, it lost its way morally at some point um, mm. after, after World War Two, where obviously there was a big boom in the population and, and money as well from poker machines come flooding in. And the game went from being, you know, just something that people went and enjoyed and, and clubs sort of enjoyed and it turned a little mm. bit of a profit here and there to, you know, this is a genuine revenue-raising machine. Yeah. And how do we protect what we've got and may, ensure it keeps growing and keeps generating revenue? Um and that's kind of been something that it's, it's almost a conflict that the game has where the club mm -hmm. wants to, it wants to keep a core group of players together at all costs if they're being successful and generating info in, you know, income for the club. But at the same time, you can't do that because the game is built on players having the freedom to do what's right for them financially. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing conflict. And yet somehow we've managed to, um, you know, make it work. Obviously, there's been this this drama with Tuddy there in in the late sixties, early seventies. But I don't know even if he at the time during that process had any any thought that it was going to turn out to be as um, as financially brilliant for players as it turned mm -hmm. out to be. I don't think he would have thought that you know, in forty years time, there's going to be players earning a million dollars a year. That would have been nonsense to him. Yeah, and and the weird thing is too that. He, he fought this battle and then he is still around to see the league try and push a new player draft on younger players. And, I mean, he as you said, he was, he was right there. He was like, no, we can't have this happen either. And he's right. We can't have a player draft. It really it cuts down the rights of players. And I think it, it turns into a bit of a gross process once it's played out over a number of years. And it's... 
I understand that there are people that are maybe basketball fans or NFL fans and they look at their draft system in the US and they say, well, that's pretty cool. They've got this whole, you know, this you get to see the draft. There's a lot of excitement about it. Uh, teams get to pick young star athletes up and it can change the course of how a club is put together and its future in some some circumstances. But there's, the system really hurts a player's rights. You have to go to where you're chosen by and and that's it. There's not really any way around it for the most part. Um, the other thing is too, it, it turns players from being people into a commodity mm. and I don't like that. And you see, and it, in a lot of ways, sometimes it doesn't work how you want it to. So that you get players will go through like a pre-draft workout and they'll take all of the numbers for players and like their, you know, how quick they are of a 40-yard dash and things like that. And sometimes there'll be teams that put too much emphasis on those numbers. And you think somebody like a Jonathan Thurston, who wasn't the biggest, the strongest, the fastest by any measure, and you might see players like that either go later in the draft, uh, which can be a good thing sometimes, but you also might see players like that be completely lost to the game. They just slip through the cracks and they don't get picked up in a draft. I also think that in rugby league, where we talk about tribalism to a certain extent, there is something absolutely beautiful about the fact that you can be born and raised in an area and grow up and play for the club in that area and become an, a, a state of origin player, an international player for your local club. And when you bring a draft into place, that is completely removed. And the idea that you take a young young kid from their support network, their family, their friends, just their general area, and you might move them to a completely different state. They might have to move to a completely different country if they get picked up by, say, the Warriors mm. or vice versa. I mean, how many young Kiwi players have exactly. to do that anyway? And it's not good for them. And, and anything that gets us away from a system where we're taking young players away from their support systems and dropping them into a professional environment and an environment where they're surrounded by young men. And sometimes those cultures are not the best environment. And it's just club to club. I mean, you drop a young player in the Melbourne Storm, I have no doubt they're going to be completely fine. But then there are other clubs where you wouldn't want that to happen. And I just think that it's a it's a terrible system for those reasons. And it's one that doesn't really work in favour of what we want for the game and what we feel like the the bedrock foundations of rugby league should be about, which is player empowerment, which was from the very first day. I mean, that's why rugby league exists. And then the second thing of like almost tribalism where, you know, I, I want somebody that was born in Penrith to be able to say, I want to be a Panthers player one day and be able to move through the grades. That's what we ideally want out of rugby league and to remove that I think would be terrible. And I think the reason that we ever get to a draft is because teams want, they want two things. They want power over players and they want to be able to cut down on how much they spend on junior development themselves. 
And if you've got a draft, you don't have to worry about junior development in your local area because it doesn't really affect you. You just pick up someone from the draft. And so it's really a cost-cutting measure at this point. And when you start to talk about cost-cutting and in junior development, that leads you down a really, really scary pathway because in the United States, you've got the, the development pathways are different because the college, college system needs players. They need to be able to bring players in to develop those players because they have their own um, financial incentives for that. In Australia, we don't have that system in place. And if clubs are decentivized to put money into their junior development systems because there's a draft in place, it leads you to a really, really scary prospect where clubs just aren't spending money on junior development anymore because of the draft. And where does that lead the game? Where does that lead all of the young players that had money spent on them in with better coaching and, and better training and sometimes even tools overseas? You can't lead down that road without there being a big effect on the game's production line. And that has been one of rugby league's shining lights over the, its whole history is that it's been able to produce its own stars. That's exactly right, mate. It's the it's the, the root of the, the issue with with a draft for mine is it it would force clubs to just instantly go, why should we bother uh, looking after and nurturing development child uh, players as kids and, and getting them up through the grades when there's next to no chance that they'll come to our club anyway. They'll get picked up by someone else. Why should we develop players for other clubs? Because mm. there's very little difference between that and the system that Tuffy broke because their, their decision back then was essentially, I know your contract's ended, but why should we let you go if you're a test player to go and play against us? Yeah. You know, so we're not going to let you go. So yeah, there's that... That's the fear I've got with it is you need to have clubs invested in bringing, not just looking after the game now and, and being competitive on the field, but invested in bringing through junior players. And junior players are going to stay um, passionate about the game if they're coming mm. through a system that's looked after them and it leads to them getting to play first grade for that club. Yeah, and... Like, I mean, and I use Penrith as an example because it's it's probably a really easy example to use. If you look at all of the money that Penrith spends on junior rugby league and, you know, you'd be flat out finding too many clubs that literally have to spend that money that Penrith have to spend on junior rugby league. Um, and all of the talent that comes out of the Penrith district that flows through the rest of the league, if you got to a situation where Penrith literally has to turn into a, just a flat-out franchise where there's nothing underneath it that they have to worry about. They probably make way more money and, and their, their costs would be way lower. But what would effect would that have on rugby league and all of those players that they get all of the money spent on them and there's just things like competitions being set up for them and the, the maintenance of grounds being able to have officials at these games and things, it would lead down a really bad road. And, and it would er, er, erode what the bedrock of rugby league is, which is the junior game. 
Um, I just can't believe it when the draft keeps getting brought up time and time again. And I think it's brought up for the wrong reasons from fans because they want that excitement of draft day. I think it's brought up for the wrong reasons for clubs because they really just want to cut costs and they want to get more power over players. And those two things, there's not really too much pushback from the media against that or, or from people that it would affect the most in players against that because they don't really have a great united voice. But it would just be the... I, I really do think it would be the very worst thing you could do for a rugby league is to bring in a draft system. Um, and, and and people like Tuddy, even back then, he realised that the system didn't work right for anybody but the clubs. And he fought, he fought very hard against it and sacrificed some of his best years for it. And players these days really need to be thankful to him because... We've seen what momentum can do in rugby league. If there's a momentum for something that's bad in the game, it can keep going forward. Um, and he broke that system. And it wasn't that long ago. You know, it's like I know we're talking about a number of decades, but, you know, that's only like four or five long careers ago. Um, you know, it's very strange to think we had that system in place. Yeah, it's especially at a time when clubs were making were making money hand over fist from poker machine revenue, and mm-hmm. we had a massive boom where um, you know consumer confidence was a sky high. After the war, everyone was happy because wars were over and all the bad guys had been beaten. That sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. baby boomers, and there was so much optimism around everywhere that um, it it seems sort of it, it seems the complete opposite to have such a a regressive system in place there where yeah. players were just being so heavily oppressed at the time. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, nothing about it made sense to anyone except the club. Mm-hmm. And the problem I see with it is if you're being that repressive to players, after a while, the players are not going to go through and want to play because if they, you know, life may change, they may need to relocate somewhere. And if they want to relocate and play for another club, and the you know club doesn't want to let them go, then all you're doing is damaging the game and how it looks, and players are going to balk at playing. Yeah, and they're going to look at alternatives. And now, because rugby union is professional, and you know you've always had the alternative of going to England, and I'm sure that there were probably players that just up them up and went to England for this reason that we yeah. had these rules in place. Um, you know, it's there are so many alternatives, and we've seen rugby league players, it, just as pure athletes, being able to do so many different sports just over the last twenty years. Even um, they're they're such good athletes; they can try so many different things. And I think res- putting restrictions in place, no matter what they are, it, it's just detrimental to being able to get your star athletes because your star athletes are just going to look at it and say, hey, listen, you know, I know you want to put me in this box, but I can do whatever I want and I, I'm not going to restrict myself in that way, especially in when you've it's a sport that is governed by a salary cap, which is in itself is restrictive, but you've still got that scope where you can negotiate with a number of different clubs as well as other sports. And we've seen players do that. We've seen players leave for all sorts of different sports for more money. 
Um, but the salary cap itself is a restriction, but it's one we kind of do have to have in place, ironically enough, to save the clubs from themselves. But to, to go back to an era where you've got clubs saying, well, this is the best thing for the game and we are the game. But, and we see that sometimes with things like how we treat international rugby league, where clubs will say, listen, you know, we've got to look after the players and we pay the players and we are the game and we're looking after the game. I think any time you can take power away from the clubs, it's probably a good thing. Um, and a draft would hand them too much power. Yeah, um, I, I fully agree. I don't like I don't like clubs having too much power uh, at NRL level because mm-hmm. um, they're usually the first ones to speak up about player burnout. You, I remember mm-hmm. a few years ago we had Phil Gould coming out um, in opposition to the the nines that was going on in Auckland because he said, mm-hmm. "What if players get injured there?" Yeah, and while it's a legitimate concern, he's also trying to limit players from doing what they want to do. If a player wanted to go and play in the nines because of thought they might help improve their chances of getting a better contract perhaps or maybe getting picked up by another club down the line, yeah. then they're going to want to go. They'll take that risk of getting injured because that's the same risk you take every single week you play football. Yeah, and it's, the galling thing about that too at the time was that the Auckland nines were looked at as possibly being a competition where you had NRL clubs competing against international teams. And the yeah. NRL teams were like, no, we want to close shop and we also want to be guaranteed money out of this. And the the promoter at the time had to take on any losses. And there were all these things put in place so that basically NRL clubs could not lose out in any way at all. And the promoters put in place some things where they said, look, you can't just send a reserve grade team. We need you to send some star players. And so there were a few things put in place there. But then to have, with all of those things leaning towards the clubs, then having any club come out and say, well, listen, we're worried about players getting injured in this competition, so we're not sure about it. It's like you can't have your cake and eat it too, you know. And they all walked away with money from those competitions. And at the end of the day, a lot of things that we see put in place with rugby league, the clubs come out and say, yeah, but what do we get out of it? And that's why... You see them pushing back sometimes against expanded representative calendars because it's not something that the clubs can get money directly from, even if and players get money directly from it, but the clubs don't get money directly from it, and so their self-interest kicks in and they say, "Well, is this what's good for rugby league?" And because the clubs think they're rugby league, and uh, it's always good when you see that broken down. And that's why I was worried about when clubs were fighting for more of a say on the independent commission, because as soon as the clubs get a bigger say on the independent commission, it stops being independent in any way at all. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, there's always got to be a pushback against clubs because when clubs get too much power, we see they lock everything down and they make it just about themselves. And that's not what the greater game is is about that, you know, the clubs are important, don't get me wrong, but it's about the players, it's about the fans, it's about international rugby league, it's about making sure that we don't get locked into a calendar that is just NRL season, NRL season, NRL season, because rugby league really thrives on doing something different, trying new things, and really trying to expand its horizons through new ideas. Yeah, I think you can look at other sports um, 
you know, AFL is a good example where uh, a complete disinterest and and lack of um, lack of motivation having interstate matches. They've yeah. had them in the past, yeah. but they got rid of them because I said there's no point in them. They don't they don't achieve anything for the game, yeah. and you know we run the risk of players getting injured. So why don't we just scrap them? There's no point. And while there may be valid arguments, mm-hmm. it's also it's also self damaging because. You're not expanding the game to new markets. You're not growing the game elsewhere, which is what rugby league has done in in a long history: is mm-hmm. going to new countries and trying new things and trying to expand that market because you get more players, sponsors, yada yada yada. It has a big flow on effect, which is all positive. None of it's negative. Yeah. Um, if you get all insular and just stick to you, stick to what you've got and the way you are, that growth stops. Yeah, and, and you end up with the sport. Get... You end up with sport that's played in one country where it's like, you know, it, it has to spend hundreds of millions of dollars just to get out of the states that it's popular in. Mm. And it just cannot grow anywhere else because, you know, you, you're just too busy looking inward. I mean, you just have to talk to an AFL supporter in Melbourne and it's like, oh, well, the whole world revolves around it and, you know, people around the world know AFL and stuff and, and then they get upset when, um, you know, somebody over on a sports show says that, you know, a rugby league highlight is Aussie rules. And it's like, oh, what are they talking about? You know, you know, you you can't have those closed systems. It's not good. And it's funny because people talk about um, the NFL is the NFL's as close of a system as you can have, because really gridiron isn't really played anywhere else. And I know people will say, oh, there's gridirons played here and there. It's not really played anywhere else. Basketball is different because it's a very popular sport around the world. And you do get players coming into their draft system, but you also do get some other players that can be signed outside of the draft if they don't get drafted. And basketball is also looking at its own draft because the draft doesn't work as well as they want it in basketball. And so they're trying to look at ways that they can set up their own development leagues and they've got the what they call the G League right now, which is underneath the NBA, um, and they're trying to build that up now. And we've seen players come through that system and, and come straight to the NBA now. And so even the NBA understands these days that a draft isn't the ideal system, uh, especially when you get teams that, that tank their entire year. And some of them have tanked like four years in a row, five years in a row, and it hasn't even worked out for them that great. Um, it, it's it's something that doesn't really work. But then you, I mean, you, you've got different sorts of drafts that you can have in place so that you've got a, a young player draft, you've got players that come off contract that can be put into a draft, which I believe is what the AFL had for some time now. They've gone to free agency to a certain extent. Um, then you've got, that's something rugby league could maybe look at is if you had players from, and, and I'm talking about Australia, if you had players from other codes that wanted to declare for a draft through the league, but then, you know, I don't think that there's enough of that happening for it to really be needed. And I think that it stops you having the ability to negotiate with the player. I mean, you think of somebody like, say, and I don't like bringing him up as a player, but Sonny Bill Williams, if he decided he wanted to come back and play rugby league again for whatever reason, um, if he had to then put himself into a draft, he's just not going to do it. It's just not worth his time. 
and it only takes one player to go and take it to court and it all falls apart anyway. So I, I just don't see any version of a draft being good for rugby league in any way whatsoever. No, I must admit, I, I can't find situations where in, in other codes where I'm, I, I, I like the concept as well. Because mm. as we've touched on before, too much of it is, it puts too much pressure on the player being drafted to completely uproot their life to chase yeah. a dream that they don't know whether they're, you know, if they're young, they don't know if they're going to make it. I mean, you know, you hear of players, especially ones that are from Australia, Andrew Bogart, for an example, having mm. to go and relocate out of one country to another one, then going to a draft, mm. that constant burden of moving around everywhere just to get that, that one crack. And mm. you still never a chance of making it and, and you know, becoming mainstream over there and becoming a big star. And even if you do, what if you get an injury? Yeah. And because you're treated like a commodity, as you said, you get an injury that could rule you out for a season. The club might just go, you're a financial liability on us. We can't afford to have you around because we're not mm. performing at the level we need to. So we're going to have to let you go. Then you've got an injured player trying to find a contract somewhere. And with that mindset in place, no one's going to pick them up. And if you're not getting picked up, by the time you're healed and you're ready to play... No one's going to buy you because you haven't been playing for a while. And so yeah. nothing about the system to me um, works in the player's favour. I know no. a lot of people will say that, oh, it gives young players a chance. But I say they're already getting that chance. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah. And because of the way that a draft normally has the best players going to the worst teams, you there's been so many instances of really good players being dropped in absolutely terrible situations and never really recovering from it or taking an entire career before they get to a situation that's actually good and by then, unfortunately, they're not the player they used to be. You also get situations where you'll get a club might not necessarily draft the star, they'll draft for a need and because the need player is maybe not a star, their entire career is tainted by the fact that they were the first round pick or they were a top yeah. pick or something. Um, there's a lot of players like that. And then you, uh, because people normally say, well, a draft works because of this star player that it all worked for. And it's like, yeah, but what about the players that it didn't work for? Who, yeah, they got a lot of money out of being a top pick, but it just didn't work out for them. And instead of being able to maybe change their situation and move to a different club or something, they were done by the time their first contract was over. And because of the stigma of being a bust in the draft, they never got another shot at it. it and there's so many young, and it's young men for the most part, that their lives were were really trashed by this system, the, the draft system. And I would hate to see that come into effect for a rugby league. Yeah, I think we can even just look at AFL and say, you look at a team like Carlton, who's been you know, a cellar dweller for a number of years now. So they're, they're at the bottom of the ladder there, which means they mm-hmm. get the premium pick in the draft. Mm. It's not helping them. So, yeah. And I can't see how a system like that is going to help even out a competition in the NRL, where the competition is as close now in the last you know six, seven years. Mm. It's actually probably closer now in those last six, seven years than it has ever been in its entire existence. Mm. 
Yeah, um, and that's the other thing. They say, well, it'll help the competitive balance and it'll help teams. And it's like, how much more competitive do you think you can get from where we're at? And when we've talked about this before, the the competitive balance in the NRL is thrown off by terrible administration rather than a lack of talent or even to a certain extent, a lack of decent coaching. It's not almost always a terrible administration that's run a team's player base into the ground and they have to rebuild that rather than the game not being able to have just a, a competitive balance based on the salary cap. Um, you know, and you, if you've got young talent, I mean, if you had a young superstar player right now and you chuck them into the Bulldogs club right now, who I, I would dare say is probably in the worst situation of any club in the NRL over the next few years, and they've admitted that themselves. Um, what's that going to do to a young player playing in a, a team that is in no position to really build over the next couple of years that is going to be in a like a losing situation? Is that a good thing for that player that we have a, a youngster that could be something special, but they're just playing behind a beaten team every single week? That, that does nothing for a player's development at a certain point. Um, sure, getting the first grade opportunity is great, but you know some players. And I look at the Melbourne Storm, who just churn out good young players year after year, and they put them in a good environment. They put them with good systems around them. It's good junior development, good coaching, and the game gets so much out of that compared to if you got some of their young players and just dropped them in a bad situation. You don't get as much out of that. And, when, you know, there's just so many arguments against a draft that I, I can't believe it keeps being brought up. Yeah, I fully agree. I've, I've always been opposed to the whole concept. I just, I found no benefit other than, as you said before, the, the two reasons why it gets pushed is because, A, it's going to benefit clubs as far as cutting costs, mm-hmm. and B, because fans think it's going to be exciting. Mm. Those are not reasons to bring in a bring in a draft. If you're going to bring in some sort of massive change like that, it has to be something that's positive for players, clubs, and the game. And it doesn't a draft does none of that. It doesn't yeah. do well. You, you know, it needs to be all three. And it's not doing that. It's only doing one of those. You know, and the player is the player being um, treated you know, by being drafted. They're not getting the best deal out of that. As you know, Terry Hill proved, I guess, when he broke it because he didn't want to go to a club. He was happy where he was. Yeah, so it's, and, and um, I even look at right now in the in the NBA, we've got a college player that's coming in called Zion Williams, and he's a really good, talented player. And he had a slight injury in his college in the college season that he just finished up. And uh, there was talk that should he now sit out until he is in the NBA draft. And when you get to a point where a a player is such a commodity that you're saying don't play the game, that's the problem. You know, right. and, and I, you just can't have that. You can't have that in a sport that was founded on players having freedom of movement and freedom to pursue a career in the game and not have restrictive things put in place. You know, it, it just goes against everything rugby league is about. That is the absolute you know, that is the crux of what the soul of the game is about, is a fair go for the player. And the whole draft concept completely rips that off, that whole idea apart. Yep. 
Well, I think that's it. I think we've completely destroyed the draft idea. I can't think of... I mean, I can't think of one good thing that comes out of it. Um, and I, I, I think that any time in the future that anybody says to me, we should have a draft, I would just say, listen to this podcast, because I think I've I've put forward everything that that I have to say about the draft from now on right now. I've, I've done that, so that's pretty well, good. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, can't argue with that, mate. It's it's um, it's it's a discussion that needs to be had once, only to show just how frivolous the concept is, and why mm. we should dismiss it so so quickly. One hundred percent. So uh, yeah, anyone from the RLPA who needs a spokesperson against the draft, you know, we're always here. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, listen to the podcast, and beyond that. You know, the argument is just like, fuck off. You know, it's just not going to work. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the official statement we'll be going with in the in the court of law. Yeah. We'll be adopting the, the fuck off stance. Yes. I think that's, that's, that's good. It's clear and strong. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to All the right. point. So if you want to uh, send us any questions or you want to, uh, you know, give us some comments about this podcast or other things you'd like us to talk about, you can contact us via email. Where can they get on to us, mate? The email is podcast at leaguefreak.com. Feel free to use it. Feel free to give us any suggestions. Feel free to ask any questions. Um, we're open to everything at the moment. So, And if you want to sponsor the podcast, get in touch with us. Absolutely. And you can catch League Freak on Twitter, at League Freak. You can check out his writing and a ton of it at his website, leaguefreak.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well at AndrewRP. I own the RugbyLeagueProject.org.au website. Um, There's a sponsors calling in. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Another person trying to tell me that there's something wrong with the NBN. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can contact us um, anywhere on Twitter at any other time. We're up to you know stupid hours of the day. So mm. yeah. Get in touch. Let us know. Try not to be abusive because, you know, League Freak can be – you can get volatile if you if you press the wrong button. You well, don't want people that. people are abusive, I mean, what do they expect out of me, you know? Yeah. I, I get some dumb shit said to me and it's like, well, fuck, man. What do you expect? Yeah. Once you open that Pandora's box, the lid doesn't go shut. Exactly. Yeah. So, That's so what that... she said. <laughs> so uh... – so, so don't be an asshole about it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I yeah. would much rather somebody say, "Look, League Freak or, or, or Andrew, you're wrong, and this is why." And we've had somebody do that, and I, like yeah. I, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna get in touch with that person and tell them why they're wrong. But uh, it's you're much better in saying, "Look, these are the reasons why I think you're wrong," and having a discussion over it. And look, you might not change somebody's opinion on a, a subject. But at least you can have a, a normal discussion about it because when you just get into a slang and match, and look, I've done it in the past, you just get nowhere. You're just spinning your wheels. And I'd much rather have somebody come forward with something and try and change my mind because it is possible to change my mind on certain subjects. Um, so, yeah, try and have a, a good discussion with us. And, look, if you come up with something, we will bring it up in a podcast and do a whole podcast about it and talk about your opinions and, and you know, make sure that people know where they can find you and 
we would love nothing more than to do that. So yeah, get in touch with us and and go for it. Absolutely. Um, that sounds like your dog is fully excited about this podcast in the background there. Yeah, it's, he's snoring his head off. I, I snap my fingers every so often to try and break him out of it, but there's nothing, you know. We're going to do something to live in this show, mate. We're going to get that dog interested. <laughs> but what I need to do, and just something subtle like a pellet gun. <laughs> but, you know. That's for another podcast. <laughs> That's for another podcast. Drop its, drop its turds all over the floor every time you do it. Can that. I please say, that's a joke. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything. Oh, you're going to use a pellet gun. I've never used a pellet gun ever for anything in my life. Just throw hammers, hammers at it. I prefer just beating them with bloody phone books. <laughs> God, what, what happened? This is to the phone book. <laughs> we, we just ended it to, to viol- violating animals. Yeah. Yeah, it just what the hell happened? By the way, we're going to have to do a podcast about what a phone book's now. I mean, when was the last time you ever got a phone book? We're showing our age now. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Ugh. We used to have phones that weren't mobile. We used to have a phone that you used to have to finger to get it to work and, yeah. you know, finger in circles. And it purred at you. Yeah. Oh, those were the days. Look at young kids today missing out on. Yeah. We're, we're, we're rambling a bit now, but this is probably the highlight of the yeah, podcast. We could probably cut the last 10 minutes out of this podcast, and it would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks, mate, for an- another uh, great chat about rugby league and its history and its future and what we, you know, we solved another issue there again and why we explained why it was stupid. Yeah. And, uh, that's what we do. We're reasonable in that manner. It's stupid and, and no. <laughs> solves and uh yeah we'll be uh obviously doing some more so yeah definitely get in touch we'll read those out in our next uh our next short uh, podcast as well and uh yeah we'll catch you later thank you everyone for listening